everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 16, Setting Up Linux, the geek version. Brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementsop.com. This week, we're going to take a look at the, the really nuts and bolts of installing Linux. We've talked about a couple of times before uh, clicking through the wizard, uh, but uh, what if you're one of those 10th level uber geeks and you don't like wizards, you want to do things the hard way? Maybe you're a command line godfather like our friend Mr. Uh, Neves, and you want to do it that way. So we're going to talk today about that. And speaking of Chris Neves, say hello, Chris. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you with us this week. And oh, I'm glad to be here. And back with us is, is Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. Everybody back and healthy and strong at your house? Yes. Awesome. Glad Thank to hear. Thank you for asking. And as always, our noob in residence, Mr. Seth. Uh, no, wait, Seth, I just did. Mr. Aaron Butler. Say hello, Aaron. I have returned to civilization, and I have electricity once again. Yeah, well, our power was out, speaking of electricity, for like two hours, and it was amazing. I was like, I don't know what to do. I, nothing works. Um, you know, being in the dark wasn't so bad, but it started getting really hot in here with the yeah, power. Yeah, that take long, yeah. Because um, it's been 106. I mean, today was actually a very cool day. I had to get a sweater out. It was only 97, um, and my body just couldn't adjust to that. <laughs> the drastic swing in temperature. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah, my uh, air conditioner is on the power save mode, and it actually cut off once last night. So. <laughs> wow. When's the last time that happened? May? <laughs> A long time ago. Wow. Yeah, Quite often around here. This has been a... A rec literally record-setting summer here in Texas. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, there has been some collateral damage as a result of that. We were talking about before we started recording uh, that uh, down in South Texas and, and in parts of uh, even Central Texas, wildfires are running unchecked because the, uh, the normal things that stop them, like creeks and ponds, aren't there. And uh, so our thoughts definitely go out with anybody dealing with that. So Linux turned 20 last month, and we didn't mention it. I, I yeah, know, I even uh, saw yeah, that. Linux police said we had to or they were going to revoke our show. Yeah, I didn't. did they call you, Seth? I didn't get that call. Um, <laughs> yeah, they did. Okay. so They, they texted me. <laughs> and said, uh, you guys got phone calls and texts, and I just got beat over the head with a trout. Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> so they said that we, they were going to revoke our, our license to use the word Linux if we didn't at least mention the fact that Linux turned 20. Although it's it's kind of, it was one of those rolling sort of things. It kind of started at one point, and it was published at another, and it was giving a, given a name and a number. So I think we're still well within the window. It's like sometime within the year 2011, Linux turned uh, 20. <laughs> well, I think they're going by the date when Linus published on the user group the hey yeah. i've got this new kernel going i think that's the official day something like that yep that's what i read so yeah, it must be about true. right yeah and if you read it on the internet it has to be true exactly because of total strangers <laughs> speaking <laughs> of total strangers uh uh chris somebody wrote something to us in an email that uh that's actually some of the fodder for our share the show this week but uh also asked some rather personal questions that i thought i'd let you answer Oh, what do you mean? Like, uh, why I, if I don't wear pants or trousers right. or am I a hoser or something along those lines? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Off, eh? It's that whole thing about being, you know, Southern Canada or AKA Montana that people sometimes don't realize that pants are for normal wear and trousers are for dress up. <laughs> okay, so what are there slacks in your vernacular or do those not? I exist? thought trousers were for BBC. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Slacks are the, another name for trousers. Oh, okay. Uh, when I say the word slacks, what I mean is they're those um, really... Polyester-driven? Uh, yeah, really bad-feeling-on-your-skin synthetic pants that I never <laughs> will ever wear in my life. Well, Aaron, anything below me. the knee for you is dress-up, right? It is, it is. <clears throat> yeah, if it comes down mid-calf, that's formal. <laughs> yeah, if I've got my capris on, you know I'm... <laughs> <laughs> You guys need to come up visit me during the winter. We'll see how long it takes before you guys swap out those shorts for something real. Well, if it's below 30 and I'm going to be outside for more than an hour, then I'll wear them. Otherwise, I'll keep my shorts. Yeah, I've <sighs> seen Aaron wear pants, I'm not kidding, literally twice in my life at my wedding and at his wedding. <laughs> I have a picture somewhere of me shoveling snow and shorts in a tank top. 
<laughs> it doesn't surprise me in the least. Uh, so, Aaron, what happened with your phone this week? <laughs> well, to make a the long story, I told Mark short. Went camping, backpacking this weekend for, with my wife the first time, and I use my phone as my camera. I don't ever carry a camera anyway. And so we were taking pictures, and we hiked back in a few miles and set up tent and all that and found out we were on the top of a hill right on the border between central time and east eastern time as far as the cell towers were concerned my time kept flipping back and forth and i could tell it was my phone was warm it was like trying to it was switching towers or whatever then about that time i got a a little alert that said "Um, a new version of your operating system is available do you want to install it now or wait (laughs) and i'd heard that gingerbread was coming to the droid too which is what i have so i said wait hit the button and then a nice little circle with a green arrow popped up and it said downloading and one X, I didn't have three G. And so for the next, I don't know, nine hours, it proceeded to download the uh, gingerbread upgrade to my phone. My phone finally died about 1130 at night, but luckily it wasn't installing it, just downloading it. So sometime around 11 today, once I got my phone, we got back to the vehicle, my phone plugged in, turned back on, it finished downloading at three G speed. I now have gingerbread 2.3.3 running on my Droid 2, and it actually is quite a bit faster. And that's such a Google thing Yay! to do. Would, would you like to install it now? No, but we're still going to download it. You don't have a choice yeah. in that matter. <laughs> exactly. Typical. Well, it, but it did work flawlessly, and it, at least so far it seems to have an. And I, I can re- actually really tell a d- distinct speed difference. Um, you know, I've heard people rave about gingerbread as being, you know, the the savior of of technology. But for me, on my Nexus One, it was really. I mean, the the status bar went from gray to black. I didn't notice much difference at all. And, yeah. of course, my, my new Nexus S has always had it on it, so I don't have a basis for comparison. But uh, I guess on some phones it's a big deal, but on my phone it was a non-event. Yeah, my phone, you know, it's the two, Droid 2, so it has a fairly good, fairly um, beefy processor and all that. Uh, but I would have things like if you double hit the home button, it'll bring up uh, voice command. And if I did that on accident, it, it's like, oh, I didn't want voice command. Go back. Wait, wait. Uh, oh, you don't. You sure you don't want voice? Okay. <laughs> On this, it's like, you know, enter voice command, boom, and I'm right back to the home screen just that quick. And I wonder if that's and uh, even like gingerbread or if that's a uh, tweaks to the Motorola Blur interface. I don't know. I do not know, but I know it's be both. Because gingerbread's been out for a long time, and if you're just now getting it, it's because Motorola was skinning it and putting their stuff in it. So maybe they took the time to fix some bugs there. Yeah. The world may never know. But I do know this. It's based upon a Linux kernel. It is. I understand. So yep. it's totally apropos for this show. So you use Linux every day. I do. What a great and you didn't even realize it. <laughs> Google Plus. Chris, talk to us about that. Well, I've been digging around on Google Plus and noticed that all of a sudden a games window showed up. And it's kind of like the Zanga games from Facebook. You know, they have their Farmvilles and stuff like that. So I'm just wondering, is this a good thing? Or are we going to now see a bunch of game spam all over people's circle feeds? Especially if they don't have their feeds con- or their circles configured correctly. Well, I will say that uh, games have been around for a while, and I have yet to see any evidence of it. So maybe that just means that the geeks aren't playing games, but I'm not seeing this, you know, uh, this sort of stuff of. Jenny needs new barn nails to complete her I have 50 bales of hay. (laughs) Who needs bales of hay? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, either they're doing a good job of that or the people just aren't playing them yet. I don't know which. Well, I'm looking at the games right now and and I clicked on one and it popped up and said, games in Google Plus are social. The games you play in your accomplishments, such as high scores, levels, of achievements, may be visible to other Google Plus users. This makes it easy to find friends and play together. Yay. So, it, <laughs> apparently at some level it's going to be in your feed. I, have you guys seen um, a, a recent increase in the number of people following you? I mean, mine in Google Plus, I don't know what has happened, but... Maybe it's because I'm a quote-unquote public figure, but uh, um, like I've gone from one or two a week people sharing with me to like 12 a day now, and they're all people I don't know. Well, mine has doubled from one two weeks ago to two today (laughs) when I checked it. Yeah, the the only time you log in is to do this show. (laughs) 
See, I really haven't noticed much at all. Um, mm. My Twitter feed, though, has been blowing up. I've been getting five or six a day. So I don't know if that's just apropos and, and people are, are now starting to It's the power of the element Opie. That's what it is. It must be. It's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's move on to the topic at hand. And uh, Chris, do you have that email from our listener uh, in front of you? Uh, no, but I can get it in front of me. Um, well, we have parts of it quoted here, but uh, um, I was trying to remember his name. I don't remember his name. but uh, uh, Aaron Anderson. Darren yep. Aaron Anderson. Okay. Yeah. So as we were as we're talking about installing uh, Linux, one of the questions he asked is, "What's the best method to install Linux on a Mac?" He's got a Mac Mini, um, and he wants to be able to dual dual boot dual boot it uh, with Linux. Uh, and the only answer I had with him was uh, for him is, "I don't know. I haven't done it." So I went and, and did a little research, probably the same stuff he had already done. You know, did some googling, um, but basically, uh, let me. For those who, who don't know, uh, Macs don't use a BIOS. They use something called an EFI, um, which I, if I was a good host, I would have looked up what that meant. Uh, but uh, rather, so if something depends on a BIOS, which all Linux Linuxes do and all Unixes and all uh, versions of Windows do, they're not going to run on that because there's that basic input-output system isn't there. Um, so you have to use something else that'll make it work. Um, now there's a tool called Refit uh, that that will do that, and it it's essentially loads its own bootloader that'll let you put in whatever. Uh, but then there's Boot Camp um, on the Mac that does that as well. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's free or not. But Refit I know is free and open source, and so it'll detect what's there, and then uh, so like you install something, uh, and Refit will see it there and just present you with a nice, pretty graphical interface for it. Uh, but that's all the really the only input I had about that. Did uh, either, any of you guys have anything to say about that? Uh, yeah, I found pretty much the same extensible resources. Extensible firmware interface. Extensible firmware interface. All yes. right, very good. And Chris, what did you say? I said I found pretty much the same resources. I found a couple other different articles, but they're all pointing at the same tool, Mark. So I would say, um, you know, try try at your own risk, but. Uh, it looks like something that should be fairly easy to do. Yeah, if you don't uh, necessarily need native performance, uh, Parallels or uh, or VirtualBox or one of the virtualization things that we've talked about so many times is going to be a good way to, to do it. But if you really want bare metal performance, the best I can tell, uh, Refit and Boot Camp, that combination is what you're going to need. Um, and Interesting. So, I've I've actually thought often about buying a Mac uh, because I really think it would be like the best Linux machine I could buy. Uh, the, the the Mac hardware is is really outstanding, and uh, Sean's not here with me, so I don't have to worry about anybody hitting me to, when I say that. Uh, but uh, I really think it would be really good. I just they're so incredibly expensive for one with any horsepower. The cheap ones are cheap ones, and uh, yeah. So anyway. That's how I feel too. I mean, the hardware's nice. They're, they're really well built um, for the Macs that I've had on in shop. That you know, I, I really haven't been able to do much to them uh, for trying to break them. As far as you know, overheats or anything like that, they seem to have all that stuff pretty well taken care of. Um, I've never heard of a Mac ever having a bad part in it, you know, off the floor. But I'm sure that does happen. But their quality control is outstanding. Yeah, and I wonder. If that'll change over time with with uh, Marshall Apple, uh, Steve Jobs stepping down, um, wonder if, if the the dynamic will change there. So anyway, we talked about dual booting um, on the Mac. There, let's talk about dual booting in general. That's probably the way you're going to want to install Linux, unless you're just going to go all out and just run Linux only. Um, Chris, you want to give a brief rundown of what dual booting is all about? Well. Dual booting works, and you know I'm going to be as general as I can with this. Dual booting is where you have multiple partitions that break up your hard drive. So if you have a one terabyte drive, you can section off pieces of that drive for each operating system, and then you have a bootloader of sorts. Um, could be Grub, could be Grub Two, could be Lilo, or the Windows bootloader that then knows that it can look at either this 
section here for Windows or this section here for Linux or this section here for Unix, uh, and then boot it accordingly. Um, oh, they, they exist more or less okay together. The only thing to remember is you want to install Windows first before you do anything else because the Windows bootloader doesn't like anybody but Windows. Right. Windows wants to be sector zero of the hard drive. And if it's anywhere else but sector zero, it will not run. So if you're going to have Windows on your machine, you've got to load it first, which is a pain. Uh, Seth, what's your favorite tool for uh, for doing such things? I pull out my Puppy Linux CD and GParted to resize the partition, and then I just boot with my uh, whatever version of Linux I'm going to put on there. Yeah, GParted can actually be downloaded in a standalone ISO that you can burn and, and not do anything else. Uh, I know, but I can play around in Puppy while it's right. doing its thing. Yeah, as I've said before, I always go with the Puppy route, too. It takes only slightly longer to, to boot, and you have all the other tools there if you need them, whereas Gparted, it's a stripped-down Debian, and pretty much all you get is the ability to run their partition editor. So <clears> let's <throat> say you get a, a machine, a laptop uh, from Dell, um, and it, it's got Windows on it, and you don't want to blow it away. You want to keep it there. You load your partition editor uh, of choice, and you can even do this. Uh, almost all of the uh, um, Linux installation disks will have uh, a an advanced option or expert mode or something like that where you can take control of this uh, on your own. Otherwise, generally, you just check the uh, the do it for me button, but, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the geek way to do it. So the first thing you'd want to do is shrink down your existing partition um, and say it's a 500-gig drive, which is actually really pr pretty small these days. Um, you, you might shrink that down to you know 50 gigs because you're not going to use Windows, but you still want to have enough for it to work. Um, and then you're going to set up your other partitions. Now, let's talk about partitioning. What is the um, optimum way to set up partitions, in your opinion, Chris? Well, I like to do... See, I'm a... a it depends on which distribution I'm loading. Um, most of the distributions I've been running lately are um, logic volume... Logic... I can't think of the last letter, but... Anyway, it, it, where it uses, it puts everything into a single partition, so it has everything broken up internally, and then it has a, a container over to, to you know, seg segregate the drive itself. Um, if I'm sending up a server, though, a lot of times I'll have separate drives for separate. Um, so instead of like being home being in, in on a separate partition, I'll I'll put home on a separate disk because that way I can blow things clean. And not have to worry about losing all my home stuff. Um, but a lot of times when I do that, I want to make sure I'm using a file system that actually takes care of itself a little bit. Um, ext4 is pretty good for that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the new um, ButterFS. But uh, I know Riser is a fairly decent file system as well. I really haven't played much of ZFS as far as, you know, actually you know, beating on the doors, but uh, a lot of times it's about all the different partitions I do. It's just a separate home and then swap and then, you know, have root everywhere else. Okay. What about you, Seth? Do you have uh, a methodology you use there? Well, I um, I always shrink the windows down and, you know, 50 gigs, it just depends on the size because I have, I usually do three partitions. I do my Windows partition. I do my Linux partition and I usually do ext three or four. I'm haven't really cared much about that. And then I will make another NTFS partition that I'm going to save the stuff I download to. So that way it can be read by either the Windows or the Linux, whichever one I booted into. Because, um, you know, I mean, there are utilities that allow Windows to read Linux file systems, but if Linux reads Windows by default, I just use it. Yeah, and so if you're not familiar with all these different file systems we're talking about, uh, there's ext, 2, 3, and 4. Um, you know, obviously, the, the higher number is the more modern version. Uh, most OSs right now are going to default to ext4. Some might still be doing ext3. Uh, and there, I think we mentioned a couple of... Uh, shows back their journaled file systems so that every time they go to make a, a write to the disk, they write what they're about to do 
into a journal file first. So it's like you say, delete this bit of data off of this sector. It goes to the journal file and says, about to delete this bit of data off of this sector, and then it does it. Uh, and then you say, okay, add this bit of data to this area. It says about to do that. So the reason you do that is if if you get interrupted in that process, when you reboot, it can go back to the journal and say, oh, this is what I was about to do, and go do it. Does so, it also uh, notate the completion in the journal? Yeah, Just no, it assumes completion, so that right. when you when you go to repair the journal, or repair the disk using the journal, it goes to the last entry and then does that. So it assumes okay. it was completed. Um, which is why, which is one of the reasons why you have such a hard time with overhead, um, because it's doing that extra writing of data. There's a little bit of an overhead, which is why ButterFS is supposed to fix most of that. Right. It's a little slower. It's not uh, the super fast uh, thing, but NTFS does something similar. Of course, it's all proprietary, but it has something similar to a journal. That's how you can run check disk on it, and it can talk about orphan nodes and whatever. It's got more some of, sort of, of table in there as well. More of a diary than a journal, maybe? <laughs> yeah, it's a blog. It keeps a blog. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, what Seth was talking about is Linux for a long time now has been able to read from and write to NTFS file systems. Um Windows does not like to read to or write from anything but NTFS or maybe FAT32, uh, which are both Microsoft's partition uh, file systems. Um, but going back to partitioning, I like to do, uh, if, I'm, if I'm talking about a multi-OS machine, um, I, I put everything on a Windows partition, you know, that's, that's the way it comes. But if I'm setting up one from scratch, I'll actually create a partition for my user space, the home as it were, in Linux, uh, and then another partition for uh, the OS. And then I do the same thing in Linux. So uh, um, I'll have a small boot partition, separate partition all its own. Then I'll have a, 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 a slash, a backslash, a, a root partition of maybe uh, 20 gigs, and that's where the OS lives. And then the rest of it will be home. Home is user, user land. Uh, and so I'll put... Uh, uh, all my stuff there. So if, if I need to wipe out or reinstall or do whatever I need to uh, completely, totally blow out one version of Linux and put another one on, I just format that one partition and all my files and my settings and everything the way I like it are all in the home partition. And so that's the way I like to do it. Uh, and one of the questions that um, Darren asked is about uh, swap partition. That's a particular type of partition that uh, uh, Windows does uh, the swap file. Um, in Windows, it's not a partition. Linux will do an entire partition set for swapping memory space. Uh, and the original years ago thing of the recommendation was twice as the amount of memory you have. So if you have, you know, at the time, 128 megs of RAM, you would do 256 megs of swap partition. Personally, I don't think we need swap anymore in this day of, of 4 and 8 and 12 gigs of RAM in a, in a cheap laptop. So I don't do any swap partition ever. Um, None? Chris, Seth, Zero? Do you guys do it? I don't do it at all. You know, I just accept the defaults in Linux and in Windows, I just accept the defaults. So if you're running with older hardware, you know, um, it's a good idea. But yeah, if you're going to buy something new, you probably really don't need it. Well, if you're doing the wizard, the wizard will set up a small swap partition, but we're talking about doing it manually, so there aren't any defaults. Um, Chris, do you have yeah, an opinion I, on that? Yeah, see, I, I still stick to that old adage about I may not do two times the amount of RAM anymore, um, but I do put some swap on it on every computer that I have that, that's, that runs Linux just for the simple fact that, you know, the way I work is I have so much open, and I do have a memory read, uh, monitor on my, um, like my laptop, for example, and I kind of keep an eyeball on it. And you know, there's a couple of times where, because I, I have, and also I guess it depends on your workload. When I'm working, I have see nine virtual desktops, and they're all full. I have five or six apps in each one, and so my RAM usage is knocking at the hundred percent of use. So I need that swap because what happens if Firefox decides to get all hoggy and eat up another extra 256 megs of RAM and there's no swap, which causes a crash. Yeah. Well, 
that that that's in my opinion uh misleading linux always uses all the ram um even if you just have one file open linux still uses 99% of the ram that's the way it likes to do things it caches everything it can in ram because that's the fastest so using a memory manager you're always going to see that you're f- using all your ram well not not necessarily like from example right now with uh let's see i got a couple of things open. I'm not going to read everything off, but it, it says now, mind you, this is just what I have running right now. But uh, I'm using about a fourth of my RAM on this laptop of active of active RAM. You know, the, the stuff that's actually being swapped in and out of being active. Now, if I'm loading up, you know, a virtual machine and everything else loading up, you know, a virtual machine right there it takes two gigs. I know that because that's what it's set at. And so if I start loading up multiple virtual machines, I end up starting to, I need needing swap. So everyone's workload's different. For me, you know, I've had a crash because I went to no swap RAM. You know, I I I set up a you know a couple of years ago I set up a when I was using Fedora I set up a um, an install without any swap, and then I did my normal workload in about oh forty five minutes into the session. It crashed, um, and it was a kernel panic because it didn't have any place to put to swap out because Firefox decided to be a hog at the time, which you know a couple of years ago it was notorious for. Yeah, I uh, just for anybody who's listening who might not know uh, what we're talking about, uh, a swap file is uh, in the same way that if somebody is uh, reading you a list of items you need to buy at the grocery store, you can handle two or three items, and that fifth one maybe, you're going to have to start writing them down, because your memory is full. And that's exactly what a swap file does in all operating systems, Windows, Linux, Mac, Solaris, you name it. Uh, There is some place on the hard drive that they treat as if it were RAM. Uh, as if it were memory. So when your memory gets full, it spills over into that. Now, hard drive uh, access times are two or three orders of magnitude slower than RAM access time. So when you're swapping, you're running really, really slow. And uh, it's a, a performance issue, um, to be sure. So uh, most of the time, uh, operating systems will... Not will choose not to do that. Will 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 do anything they can not to use swap. Windows seems to fill it up with something. I don't know what, but if you actually watch the swap access, it doesn't do much with it. And on the average Linux machine, now again, maybe I just don't do much, or maybe I over RAM stuff my machines. But I have don't think I've ever seen swap being used on anything. Uh, so. There's there's my um, living on the edge. I don't use swap. The other two guys say double your RAM. So there's, well, there's um, the answer. Doesn't doesn't Windows use it for like um, predictive caching type things where it'll it'll stick something there that you pulled and try to keep it uh, available beyond outside of RAM, but more accessible yeah. because it knows where it's at or something like that. I don't remember. It's it does something that's not real productive, but it's <laughs> an attempt. You're right. I, I believe that's where the Windows stuffs its prefetch. And that's also where if, uh, see, Mark, do you use pre-link and preload? No. Okay. See, I do. So that might be the reason why I see swap file being used and you don't. Why don't you explain what that is to anybody who doesn't know? Well, it, it's tell, just tell what Aaron it sounds. what it is. <laughs> It's just like what it sounds. It's a it's you preload and pre-link to files that are accessed lot you know more frequently. So like my Firefox executables, I use them every day, all the time. And so Linux, you know, has a portion of that stuffed away in a location. It knows exactly where it is, and will load it into into RAM. It, it predicts it when I want to use it. So it tries to load it into RAM before I even need it. Yeah, see, and then, of course, I, I that's when you need swap. I don't mean to interrupt you, but, yeah, I do. Um, I tend to trust <laughs> hardware more than software at that. And uh, every modern architecture for the last 
you know, 10 generations has had some sort, sort of, uh, parallel calculation, um, uh, measures in it and the new multi-core, multi-thread, uh, things. They'll, they'll be doing these, th- that exact sort of thing based on what you're doing. They assume what you may need next. They'll go ahead and pull the data and actually do the calculations. Uh, and then if you need it, great. It's already there. And if you don't need it, they throw it away. So I think it's kind of redundant and even less efficient to try to do the same thing in hard, uh, software when your hardware is already doing it. Just my two cents. See, I, I always feel that, you know, you can never have too much of a good thing. So <laughs> You're a belt and suspenders I, I, kind of guy, aren't you? You yep, haven't listened to my show, my other show. Because <laughs> it is possible to have too much of a good thing. Just Before too- you know it, you're buying 56-inch blue jeans that you don't wear but once or twice a year. Well, see, that's a difference, though. You see, that type of good stuff, yeah. You have to have a moderation, but yeah. the, you can have too much in your environment. <laughs> okay. uh, too many of those Neapolitan Oreos is uh, one. Right? The bag's still in there, Mark. <laughs> you don't know how close I was to having one after dinner today. It's like, I could just eat one of those. Nah, I'll just get a glass of water. And I did, which All is right. now empty. Side note. Uh, uh, what's your name? The guy in the middle, Chris. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> have I ever told? I don't think I've ever said it, you know, on on the air. I, I literally have a brain malformation. Um, there's a name for it, uh, but it's long and complex. But my brain doesn't process nouns, specifically proper nouns, in a normal way. So I literally didn't know your name just then. It just my it was there was a hole in my brain, and uh, sometimes. Um, uh, when when you're aphasic is is what is what they called. Sometimes if you uh, have that situation, your brain will choose like a word near what you're trying to say. So I might point to a hammer and say, "Would would you hand me that donut?" And in my brain, I thought I said hammer, and I don't know the difference. So uh-huh. when I blank out, sometimes it's almost always on a noun, and just feed it to me, <laughs> and, and and I'll I'll pick right up. It's like when you when you get to a skip in a CD or something, it just it just can't do it. But if you fast forward a little bit, it can pick up where where it goes. So time waits for no clock. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so I I tend to work around things a lot. If you hear me pause and like stop my sentence and go in a different direction, that's because I don't know the word that I was trying to use and I don't remember it. So I've I've tried to to do something else. Um, well, since we already went down that rabbit trail just a little bit, I have a friend, a good friend. Who has a abnormally thin corpus callosum? Does everybody know what that was? Uh, is out there? It's the uh, it's dollar the, word. It's a little part uh, that divides the two hemispheres right. of your brain that they separate on some epilepsy patients to try to, you know, re- resolve their issues and what have you. So what that gets is he gets bleed over. So if he's hammering with his right hand, his left hand is trying to hammer at the same time. And uh, so anything he does with one hand, the other hand tries to mirror it. Which is wow. very strange to see it. He can, he can, he actually plays guitar really well, so he can, he can override it consciously, but it's unconscious, subconscious. So if he, if he's not consciously trying to hold his left hand still and he's hammering with his right hand, uh, his left hand is just right there with it. <laughs> it's, it's, so he it's looks really like he's air drumming instead. Yeah, yeah like cranking a, a a crank on a, a jack stand, like to jack up a trailer. It's just both hands, you know, <laughs> just going at it. Very interesting. <laughs> Human brain is incredible. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, quick, quick aside. I, I know a guy who had part of his frontal lobe removed. Uh, he head injury. His brain was swelling, and they had to take it out to keep him from dying. So he literally has no short term memory from the day of the accident on. And um, it's great because um, you can real be a real jerk to him and make him mad, and literally four minutes later he doesn't remember it, and uh, you're all best friends again. <laughs> And you can get the same joke over and over. Yeah. He needs some swap. You're the one about the is always true. Yeah. He needs some swap uh, memory. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's too good a story not to tell. I was watching the movie Speed with him, okay? Now, remember, this is a guy with no short-term memory. So, 10 minutes into their movie, he doesn't remember the premise. So, he's literally screaming at the TV, just stop the bus! What are you doing, <laughs> moron? Just stop the bus! <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, uh, any other partitions you like to play with? Uh, I said I have a boot sector, uh, a different boot partition. Most people don't do that. Um, if you're doing something that makes heavy, like on a fog server that I talk about often, fog stores a lot of things in the in the var uh, directory or the live directory. I'll make those entirely separate partitions sometimes as well. Uh, you guys do any of that sort of stuff, or am I just being a, an uber nerd there? 
Well, Uber like nerd. for Fog, for example, for Fog, um, I actually redirected like the images folder for Fog. I have it redirecting to its own disk. Yeah, I do too. So that way, you know, I, mean, I can slap in a nice ginormous, ter- you know, few terabytes and, and not be f- afraid of it. Um, but yeah, I really have never done a separate partition for VAR or um, any of those other upper root directories. It, you know, it, on a very few occasions, I've done, you know, a separate boot, but not so much anymore, especially now with Grub2. Um, yeah, Grub2 can fit right there in the root partition and work just fine. Grub, yeah, the original Grub and Lilo both seem to work better on their own partition. Exactly. Um, the other thing I was going to bring up is since you do a separate boot sector or a boot folder, Mark, do you ever need to repair your bootloaders? Uh, not often. It has happened, and I saw that you posted a link there in the notes that that, yep. that we'll post with that uh, super grub disk dot org yeah uh but that thing will save your soul yeah uh, i forget how i fixed mine um i think i used f disk to do it like f disk fix mbr or something and, and it worked but it's not something i have to do uh, i think i've only had to do it one time well that's that'll fix the master boot record but it won't fix say if you windows it re- issues a patch to its boot up process and hoses your grub system your your grub loading um you'll need something like super grub disk to rebuild your yeah. your boot your grub sector but see again the way i build things when i run into those problems i just reinstall because i've got all my yeah. home stuff safe and generally some it's i'm going to get a better performance if i do anyway so i um sort of like i talked about on the tightwad tech i have like a 20 minute rule with with my teachers after 20 minutes i just blast it and start over i kind of have that same rule on my own systems and servers if it's going to take me more than half an hour or so to fix it i just blow it away and and start over because i've got everything on a separate partition anyway nuke and pave huh yes yes somebody some great mind once uh, introduced <laughs> me to that phrase <laughs> Uh, See, I, I do that for a lot of a lot of machines, but like for mine personally, I customize it so heavily that nuke and paving every time is is just a pain. So I, I try not to nuke and pave unless I absolutely have to. Yeah, but if everything is in your home folder, all those dot directories there, all those customizations are there anyway. You just got to put the right apps on, and they recognize it and run. Well, no, not not necessarily for my user space, but for like in customization and period. So okay. like. Uh, do you install deny host or fail to ban or any of that stuff? No. I, See, I, do, I have those. Things. I do that sort of stuff in hardware. I do it in the in the firewall and in those other places. I'm always going to trust hardware over software when I can. Well, th- there you go. You're not a boot ins- or the belt and suspenders guy. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I've, See, I've, had, suspenders. I've had instances where the firewall failed because you know you have to port forward for like say SSH. Right. Well, then your hardware is not in the way. Yeah. See, I, I tie a rope around my belt loop and go. Yeah. <laughs> I do the Ellie Mae style. Uh, so, Chris, you have uh, something in here about repositories um, and choosing. So once you've got everything uh, booted up and, and you're ready to As go. As opposed to suppositories. <laughs> thank you. Anyway, sorry. Uh, nobody help. would choose a suppository. Uh, <laughs> so once you've got everything installed and ready to go, you're going to choose your repositories. And uh, why is that important rather than just taking the defaults? Well, the defaults are nice if you want to stay with your stock system. Um, I always like to add extra repositories for Especially like my my Seuss or Susie or however you want to say it. For my Susie installs, my Fedora installs, they need special repositories because otherwise you're not going to get all your all your software. So you need to have like your MP3 support, your Flash support, support. Wine, for example. Um, a lot of those programs, if you don't have the newer and latest and greatest version which may not be in your default repositories, you have to go get those repositories set up. Um, otherwise, you're going to be in a half-working system. Right. And so most of the... How would you go about finding repositories to use? Well, that that breaks down to depending on the, on the install. Um, Fedora has a... Um, a couple of different places where you can go, and they're all written down in their, their FAQs and their, their wikis. Um, OpenSUSE is probably the easiest to put in different repositories. They actually have lines in their in their um, in their YAST tool that say 
community repositories and a list of them. And you just tick the boxes and away you go. Um, Ubuntu-based derivatives have the PPA system. And those you have to go find using Google. Um, I really haven't been able to find a good wiki or FAQ or anything of of a list of good PPAs, but they're out there. Um, that's usually, I, mean, that's, I think that covers everybody, right? More or less. Yeah. You can't cover all the Linux distros. It's not possible. Uh, <laughs> There's too many. <laughs> uh, I heard a, I forget who it was, uh, somebody r- recently uh, was talking about when they install Ubuntu, for example, they always install Ubuntu Desktop. Uh, excuse me, Ubuntu server, and then once the server is up, they do apt-get install Ubuntu-desktop so that they get the latest and greatest of everything. And I think that's kind of a neat geek hack. Instead of uh, installing what comes on the disk, even if you just downloaded the disk, it may not have been updated recently because almost all, I mean, certainly with Microsoft, you can install uh, the latest and greatest version of Microsoft and immediately have 90 patches. Um and it works that way in the Linux world too. Even if you're getting, uh, you know, uh, Ubuntu uh, 11.04, the the latest and greatest thing. There've been a lot of things since April, since it was released, and they don't update those ISOs. They just trust that you're going to uh, update them. So his uh, advice was install just the the server, and on the server side, that's you just get a command line, and that's it. You don't get the graphical interface. You don't get anything else. And then the first thing you do is run the script that installs the desktop, and so then you've got everything. Up to the second, um, and yeah. he and th- I thought that was a neat trick to to mention. See, and I would actually say that that's counterproductive because if you install the server version, you are then also installing stuff that you may not want, like Apache, etc. If you want to go that route, it'd be better to download the dot. What is it? The NetDisk versions, the ones that just boot a a installer and then call to the internet for everything, because huh, then you'd get. That. You would just get your desktop, the, the latest and greatest versions of everything, because all you're booting off is, is a, you know, a, I think they're 50 megabyte disks. I mean, they're, they're itty-bitty net installers. Right. It's like an FTP script, basically, is all it is. Pretty much. I think they give you enough to do the partitioning. Yeah, I think that's about all they give you is the partitioning and then the hard linked to the repositories, and that's it. And then you get the latest and greatest of everything. Yeah, of course, if you're going to do that, you need to have a good, solid Wi-Fi connection. You don't want to be doing it tethered to your droid, too, Aaron. Um, <laughs> uh, well, and Wi-Fi would probably be a bad idea yeah. in general. Yeah, you want to have a good, solid broadband connection. And, uh, well, it probably wouldn't even work over Wi-Fi. I'm not sure I haven't tried it because it might not even load the Wi-Fi stack. But anyway, you want to have a solid network connection and a lot of time on your hands because even at, uh, you know, FIO speeds, that's going to take a while. Depending on the distro, you could probably put um, Ubuntu down in probably less than an hour if you have a decent download speed. Right, but on a DVD, it's less than 10 minutes. Oh, and then, or USB, and then you're down to probably five, seven minutes. Right. So, it, uh, it, you know, it's it's relative, but still, it's just going to take a lot longer. Um, all right, guys, any other thoughts or ideas? This is turning out to be a short episode on the geek way of setting up Linux. Well, Chris, um, as a geek, as a as a professed geek, what's the first thing you do after you're installed? The first customizations you're going to do? Hmm. Well, I would definitely go through and install all my bits and pieces, my different pieces of software that I'm missing. But uh, what are your? Thing I do is make my mouse do the little turn into the little dinosaur <laughs> when you when you get an hourglass. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Thank you for dinosaur. that valuable insight. <laughs> Chris, what are your, um, off the top of your head, top five apps that don't come with Linux, but you have to have to put on? Um, let's see. The Wine, for sure, just because I um, I do a little bit of Windows-based gaming, so and they all work in Wine. So that's for one of the first things. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of all the software that isn't native. Um, your oh, your Gnome Do thing? You, you, you're always going to do that, right? Well... Not since I moved from GNOME. Oh, you're not using GNOME anymore, so yeah. Right. And and KDE has that built into Alt-F2, so then I don't need GNOME Do anymore. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I did in, in GNOME I don't do in KDE, 
because KDE has it already in there. Um, well, you're going to go to your, your browser, right? You like... Well, no, that's, that's built in. Oh. Firefox is built in. Okay. Yeah, I thought you didn't so, use Firefox. I thought you were a Reconk guy. Uh, well, but Reconk's built in. Could, Firefox okay. and Reconk are both built in. Uh, Flash, I guess. That'd be one. That isn't really on the top of my list, though. <laughs> um, uh, VirtualBox. Got to okay. get my VirtualBox. Uh, let's see. Uh, Remy. Okay, we've talked about R-E-M-M. that before. Yep. That's, the, That's uh, probably what... The multi-way remote access tool, right? Yep. 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 Uh, and Dropbox. Dropbox, that's a good one. Seth, what about you? I really don't have a lot of Linux customization that I do. I usually get some plugins for Firefox to get it set up the way I want to, and uh, I just hit some games to do in my downtime. Um, That's about it. What are your favorite Firefox plugins? Um, Of course, I use Xmarks because... I have so many bookmarks, and I have them like organized by folders. Yep. So once I get X marks, I'm really good to go. And uh, really, if I have that, I'm happy. <laughs> so oh, and I use Download Helper. I love Download Helper. Okay. Because you know, um, at my house, I don't have good bandwidth, and so when I am somewhere with good bandwidth, I like to download stuff to watch later at my house. I can speak to that when he comes to to my house or my place of work. He spends all of his time downloading stuff. <laughs> well, it's like I got to church early today so I could get updates, and I had to uh, stop them when the show started. <laughs> I sometimes wonder why he uh, comes to visit me, and then I realize it's because I have a broadband connection. That's what it is. Um, for me, you're just, uh, you're just good for the broadband. <laughs> just answering my own question, one of the first things I do is change the default theme um, to something I, I go out to like uh, gnome look or kde look.org and find something cool there because the default themes except maybe for linux mint are all kind of ugly um and pretty much across the board even in windows um i i, I like to find something cooler if i'm going to be looking at it um my I, I go grab firefox and chrome i use both of those pretty heavily uh like seth i do x marks and uh, LastPass. gotta have my last pass uh, Dropbox, Chris already said. Um, see, I had the most time of anybody to think of this, and I can't really come up with anything else. But well, I think that entry, uh, actually speaks to uh, the completeness of the Linux uh, desktop. If I ask you, Aaron, once you install Windows, what's the list of apps you go get? Do, do, do. You're muted, Aaron. Do, do, do. You're muted, Aaron. Now it would include LibreOffice. Okay. Um, uh, usually, of course, Chrome. I, I, I'll do Firefox about half the time just because yeah. I, I might need it. But but it's a long uh, list. Was my point, right? Yeah, not. I'm. I am. Have slowly. Com- believe it or not, have slowly migrated to be more of a cloud user than I was even two or three years ago. So it's not as bad as it used to be. But yes. Yeah. So, but but in in the Linux world, once you get it installed it really is a complete operating system it's uh, a complete desktop environment or server well i will say, we'll say one thing i'll go download is i'll go download uh i'll install the microsoft update uh utility because it doesn't come by default installed and set up What's with and, that? Then I, yeah. and then i'll install microsoft essentials because it doesn't come with antivirus installed and you have to have that if you're going to run windows and then i'll let it go through the first three or four hundred updates that it needs to do that are mission critical that the world will explode if you don't have and then sometime around day three <laughs> it'll actually be usable uh and i'll i'll start computing on it to get to the internet <laughs> yeah on if windows the first place i go is Ninite. I will download my antivirus, and then I go to Nine Night, and I pick them all, and I start downloading, and I come back in the morning. <laughs> um, okay, so I just wanted to contrast that. Now, uh, if if my uh, Mac Zealot friends were here, they would say they don't ever install anything. They can't take what Steve gives them, and that's it. <laughs> You'll get nothing and in life. All them into the dirt, into the black hole. <laughs> and sideways, sideways geek. Now, who can tell me what movie that came from? 
You'll have nothing or like it. They will download an app that has less functionality than you could do for free on the web, <laughs> and they will yeah. love it because Steve Jobs said they will. Yeah, well, so, uh, I didn't want to turn this into a bashing system, but it was the idea was um, the the fact that how can I say this? I can't say it gracefully, so I'm just going to say it. The most popular operating system in the world is also the most incomplete operating system in the world. Um, Windows is probably the least complete OS. It gives you just enough to get running, but you don't have anything usable really on it. They're getting better at that, sort of. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the Linux side, the Unix world, uh, you know, FreeBSD, all those uh, sort of things, you got a fully workable um, entire desktop and or server environment uh, from the moment you're finished with your install. And I hate to take up anything for Windows, but, you know, I am Microsoft certified and they make me once in a while. But every time they try to add something, they get sued. So, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> that is true. How, how dare you kill our business <laughs> by giving it away for free? Yeah, when they installed uh, a firewall, people were pretty up in arms about that, weren't they? Yeah, well, you know, they killed Mo- they killed Netscape by giving away their crappy browser. Um, they killed Corel by undercharging for their crappy word processor. They are killing the antivirus software by giving away crappy antivirus. Um, so basically, you know, whenever they add stuff to their operating system, you know, it kind of gets worse. Seth, you have represented your overlords well. Thank you. That's uh, That's a good point to remember. It is a different world. Okay, any okay. other uh, thoughts or comments before we wrap this up? I think we should do a forum thread in, in the, the forum with a desktop, what your desktop looks like in, an, in a usual day. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Uh, upload a snapshot? Yeah. Uh, and maybe we'd do a separate forum uh, posting there to say what, what are your must-have apps that as soon as you get a system up and running, you install. That'd be a good show topic, actually, to take the... Uh, um, suggestions from our audience and uh, share them on an episode. So we'll do that at some point later. But that means that you must come to our website and post. And we'll talk about that a little later on. But for the moment, oh, great command line godfather, what is our command line tip of the week? I owe nice. <laughs> I are nice, too. Now, uh, <laughs> yeah, I figured you are. Except for maybe um, we've talked about nice in the past. And Nice tell is a program that tells you what um, is using your CPU and how to say if your browser is eating up your your processor, you can tell it to be nicer and it will let go of your processor a little bit more. IO Nice is, does the same idea. What it does is it it tells you what you know what program or what system. I'm trying to think how to explain it. What Whatever program or service is running that is eating up the hard drive access and then tells it to back off. So, or reversely, you can tell it to use more. So, like if you're encoding a DVD or a video that's using, it's thrashing your hard drive because, you know, that's what it does. You could either give it more um, power to do something or you can take it away for the hard drive access. Uh, it comes in handy on a server, not so much at a desktop level, but at a server level, it comes in handy. Okay. And uh, Seth, we've missed your consumer tips of the week. What have you got for us this week? I actually used this um, just this past week at work. It is the Trinity Rescue Kit. You can go to trinityhome.org. It, um, we had a uh, laptop at work that nobody remembered the password for Windows to get in. And so I used Trinity Resource Kit to uh, kind of pre-boot and then change the password so that I could then log into it. So it worked really well. It did. It has advertised. And I tried a couple other tools that use the same underlying system, and Trinity was the only one that worked. So. And so this is, uh, of course, a tool for only a machine that you own and have simply forgotten the password to, and, and you would never use it for anything else, right? That is correct. Yeah, absolutely. I promise on my honor, <laughs> I will never use this. I'll tell you, this is a side note. This is not my new discovery, but this is a little side note. I have a, access to a tool that will let you 
take the Windows lock screen and just make it go away. <laughs> you know, somebody control alt delete enter and locks right. their screen on a Windows computer. This little command line just goes boop, and now you see the desktop. You can do whatever you want, and then boop, put it back when you're done. <laughs> That's awesome. If anybody would like that, I'd be glad to distribute to you in case you accidentally lock yourself out of your computer that you still know the password to. <laughs> uh, just turn it off and use Trinity Resource. So there you go. I could use that at work. Um, yeah, often, actually. That's well, what I was just thinking. Know, That'd be a handy I, thing for at work. I've never used this at work. I mean, <laughs> sure, there's situations where I need to get in the user's computer and they've gone to lunch. They're supposed to leave the computer logged on at lunch. Instead, they locked it and they went to lunch and I have to fix it at lunch. And that'd be a perfect opportunity to use this tool, but I would never, ever use this no, tool at that lunch. that would be dishonest. You wouldn't do that. It would. And it would be in violation of multiple policies at my workplace, <laughs> so I would not do that. Just to, I'll be glad to give it to you guys in case you need it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, along those lines, this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I think it's funny. We have a kid at our school who thinks he's elite hacksaw, um, and he's, <laughs> he's discovered on the Windows Just partition. Just the fact that he knows that phrase means he's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we On our Windows partition, he's discovered that you can encrypt your files. That's that's a feature in, in Windows, and, and basically what that means is nobody but your user account can get onto it, which is moronic because at any point in time I could change his password, log on as him, and do anything I wanted to. But again, he thinks he's being something special. Um, well, couldn't you also, as an admin, take ownership of them? No, no, it has no? to be that account. Okay. Once they're encrypted, only that account can get to it. Only that SSID. Ah. Excuse me, uh, SID. SSID is something else. Uh, but anyway, um, he came to me recently. Um, wanting to restore something that he had deleted from our backups. And I had to explain to him that because you are elite hacksaw and have encrypted your files, our backup system was unable to back up your files. And I'm terribly sorry about that. Uh, so you're just going to have to uh, do without it. And so the, just uh, a little morality story there that uh, sometimes you get exactly what you asked for. He wanted nobody to be able to look at his files, and nobody could look at his files. Did he cry? <laughs> um, That's awesome. Not in front of me. <laughs> oh, I have a funny story that is mildly related to what you just said. Our uh, special ed director came to our technology director and said, um, we deleted some files and we need you to restore them from the back. And he looked at her straight in the face and said, due to the confidentiality nature, we do not back up your special ed files. <laughs> of course we did, but it was just funny to watch her freak out when yeah. he said it. HIPAA prevents us from... That's awesome. <laughs> oh. Sounds like something I would say. <laughs> All right, Aaron, what is your uh, noob discovery of the week? Well, as I continue just to try to look for resources for people who, like me, don't know anything, um, I stumbled on another website that's supposed to be a newbie guide. Hopefully this one's better than the other one that I mentioned and y'all immediately destroyed it and said, <laughs> 15 of the 16 things on the front page are just idiotic. I've erased that from my short-term memory. I don't even remember what that one was. But this one's linuxnewbieguide.org, and that's using the N-E-W-B-I-E spelling of newbie guide. Uh, it seemed at least well-organized. I don't think it's – I've used it before. I hope I'm not pulling a Sean and using the same one because it, it didn't look familiar to me, but I have – I am somewhat sleep-deprived. Uh, and if I have used it before, then in that case, I'm mentioning it because it is such a good resource that it needs to be mentioned again. Uh, so either way, <laughs> that's what it is. LinuxNewbieGuide.com. Well, Aaron, looking over it, it uh, just a cursory glance, it looks actually pretty solid and, and well-informed. Yeah. So Glad to know that. So, Aaron, are well, you are you now a daily Linux user? I would say not daily because I still have a dual boot set up, so I, and my wife doesn't use the Linux, so if I want to get into it, I have to boot it, reboot it and get into it. But um, So I'm not everyday Linux. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a someday Linux. Uh, real quick, so, since we're doing quick side notes, and this show is running fairly short. Um, Not anymore. <laughs> I know. You'll appreciate this one, though. So uh, we have to do an upgrade this next weekend. Originally, people thought they were going to come in on Sunday, uh, but they'd already kind of made plans for Saturday, thinking they were going to come in on Sunday before they got the official word. Well, the official word down the pike from me was, you have to come in on Saturday. There was a little bit of mumbling and groaning about it. And uh, one guy, trying to be real supportive, replied back to the email, just to me that I had sent to everybody on the team and said, um, you know, this is their job. Everybody just needs to suck it up. I'll be there and good job or whatever, you know, just kind of like I'm with you. And so I took the, uh, the header from my original email that had everybody's email address in it 
I replied to him and I pasted it in his email <laughs> and said, thanks for the support. Did you mean to send this to everybody? <laughs> and just send it back to me. <laughs> but I, down below my signature, I put a, just kidding, I pasted it in the header thing, but he, he about uh, wet himself before he <laughs> read the whole thing. It's like that tire mean. commercial that was on the Super Bowl last year. The guy driving around slapping computers out of people's hands because he thought he'd reply it all. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. Anyway, I'm done. Okay. I'm, so I'm with all that, uh, if you want to uh, communicate with us, this is us communicating with you. If you want to talk back to us... Um, you can do that at our website at elementop.com. Start a couple of those forum threads that we talked about, um, and uh, we will respond to them. And, and uh, you can also email us at edl at elementop.com like Darren did, and uh, we will make a whole show based on your email. Um <laughs> You can also find us at uh, twitter.com slash elementop. There's an everyday Linux list there where you can follow our individual feeds uh, and get to know us uh, more as people. Um, and uh, just uh, all general sort of goodness there at elementop.com. That's that's where the community lives. You can check out our other podcasts. Uh, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably already have checked out some of our podcasts. But uh, please do uh, if you haven't already. And um that's really all I got to say about that. Any other final thoughts before we say goodnight, guys? No, I think we're good. Other than send some more stuff our way. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And that concludes this episode of Everyday Linux. Linux.